My sermon today has one point. Now, that doesn't indicate necessarily the length of it, but it has one point. Uh, And the point is, love is the greatest commandment. Love is the greatest commandment. And, And so I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 12, Mark 12 and beginning in verse 28. In 1956, a 28-year-old missionary by the name of Jim Elliott, after having graduated from Wheaton College and felt called to go to Ecuador to serve in that area, felt called even more specifically to go to a, a particular tribe, a tribe that was violent, a tribe that was angry, a tribe that was looking to, had killed other people. In fact, Shell Oil Company tried to move into that area and began bringing some resources for that And that tribe killed those members of Shell Oil to the point when they just pulled completely out. And these missionaries, along with Jim and four other missionaries, came in there and began to share the love of Jesus Christ with them. They would use an airplane that one of them would fly, and they would speak over the loudspeaker, and they would drop food down and drop supplies down and try to show love until finally they felt like, well, it's safe enough to go in there, and they landed at that place intending to share the love of Jesus and the gospel of Christ. And they were encountered by this tribe who speared them to death. All five missionaries lost their lives. Jim Elliott's commitment to sharing this good news of Jesus Christ was a passion of his. In his journal, just months before this, his killing, he wrote what is the most famous line of all missionaries. If you're a, a good missionary of any value whatsoever, you know this saying, and it is, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain to, excuse me, to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And when these five missionaries Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming, and Roger Udarian were killed by these members of this tribe. It would have been easy for their wives to leave. They had young children. They were there in the middle of Ecuador. It would have been easy for them to just abandon and leave, but yet what they did was they chose to stay and extend their their husband's mission and calling for life to reach this particular tribe, not just the Ecuadorians, but this particular tribe. Elizabeth Elliot in particular became known for her dedication. She she learned the language and she learned the customs of that particular tribe of people. And she, along with the other wives and their young children in tow, began to serve and love, and show compassion. Several of the tribe became Christians. In fact, one of the men who had killed those missionaries became a Christian. His life was changed dramatically. Uh, They called him Grandfather Munkau. And Grandfather Munkau would go and he would share his testimony his new creation in Christ. And listen, he would go with the son of Nate Saint, one of the slain missionaries. This is amazing. They would stand on stage holding arms 
and just talk about the love of Christ. And people thought, well, surely you could forget your father's, forgive, excuse me, your, forgive your father's murderer, but how can you love him? That's morbid, they said. And Nate Saint said, it certainly would be morbid if it weren't true. I truly love this man. And they would share the good news of Christ with others going through there. What level of love is necessary not only to forgive the murders of your husband, but to love them? That would take a lot. It would have been very easy for those women just to hate those people, abandon them, say, I'm going to a place that's going to be safe for my children, safe for me. Obviously, God didn't have a plan for us to be here. It was a bad plan, and off they would go. And no one would say, that's, that's a bad idea. Every woman would say, I'm so sorry. But yet, those women stayed and loved them, and they said they wanted to show love and compassion to those people that they've never experienced before. I have actually four copies of this book through Gates of Splendor that Elizabeth uh, wrote. And they were down here on the table where the, the Bible is. So take, feel free. If you feel like I've, I've suffered, I've, I've had loss, and I want to have healing, feel free to take those. Say, well, I don't know if I could read that big th- thing. There are a lot of pictures, okay? So that's, that's good news. Billy Graham said, the greatest need in the world today is for people to love and to be loved. He continued and said, we need to love God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. And what Billy was referring to is exactly our text today in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And so let's look at that. One of the scribes approached, and when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbors yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. In the passage in Matthew, the parallel passage in Matthew, it describes this the sequence of questioning that took place from talking about, okay, what about divorce? What about remarriage? What about taxes? Now they're going to hit him. Which is the greatest commandment? They're trying to trip him up, and each time Jesus was able to answer the question precisely, exactly, perfectly. What else would you expect from Jesus? He'd answered it perfectly to the point when the end of our text, it said, and no one dared to even question him any longer. He said, it's not worth it. 
we're not even going to ask him any more questions because he's got the answer for everything. He answered this question and said, the most important thing is love the Lord your God with everything and love others as yourself. In Matthew's gospel, it says, all the law and prophets hang on these two things. Of this catechism, their time of learning about God. And they asked the children, said, uh, how many commandments are there? And the children said, ten. And the visiting preacher said, I believe it's eleven. He didn't explain himself. The mother didn't ask the question, what do you mean? She just thought, he doesn't understand. He's not even as learned as my young children. And so he said, the next day got up to preach. And he preached from this passage. And he said, here's the 11th commandment. And it's the greatest commandment. Now, why could Jesus say that? Because if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, we got all the Ten Commandments covered. Loving God, you would have no other gods before him. You wouldn't take God's name in vain. You would not make an idol for yourself. You'd remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. If you love others, you're not going to do them harm. And so we would honor our father and mother, which are called to love. Would not kill would not steal, would not commit adultery, would not lie, would not covet what has belonged to our neighbors because we love them. So that's why it's the greatest commandment. It's the first and foremost. Love is the greatest commandment. And look at these two things. We're going to love God completely and love others compassionately. Well, I grew up in the church. Um, my family went from I was even before I was born and... I went through what was called at that time the cradle roll. And you're on record, you kept cradle roll. And I went through there. In fact, I would preach often at that church uh, after I had gone and f- finished my training. And I'd come back and I'd preach. And an old lady would always come up to me every time I preached. Her name was Pat Jones. And Pat would walk up to me and she'd say, You know, I changed your diaper. Now, there's certain things you want to hear from folks from time to time. That's not one of them. I don't care how old you are and how long ago, it, it doesn't get less creepier. And then Pat died, and I preached there. And I kind of missed that comment. And that made me feel like I'm... I'm just as weird as Pat. But I grew up in the church, and I found that people would love the church more than they love God. They love the music. They love the morality. They love the mission above God. You may love the community of friends that you have more so than you love God. And all those things are good, but it has to be god first. So we want to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love is a word that's, that typical word in Bible word is that agape love. 
That means a love that isn't warm, fuzzy love. It's a love that that's distinct. It's committed. It's faithful. It's loyal. It makes a decision. It's that it's that love when if you've been married for two weeks, on that second week you wake up and say, "I don't know if I love this person, but I'm married to them." And you say, "I am choosing to love them." We may not feel it, but we decide we're going to love it. God's love to us is that way. It's not, okay, if they're good, I'm going to love them. If they're bad, I'm not going to love them. God says, I choose to love them in spite of that Jesus hanging on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How could he say that? Agape love. Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, agape, keep my commandments. And so our love for God is sent out. We, we do that as we follow his commands. We love God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's our focus. I performed a wedding yesterday, and I asked the couple, individually one at a time, I said, do you promise to love the other in good times and bad, forsaking all others, keeping yourself only unto your spouse so long as you both shall live? Without hesitation, they both said, I will. No hesitation. And I wonder if there's any hesitation on our part. God said, would you love me with everything? Am I your focus? Is there no other? Uh, in the Old Testament, the, when the Israelites would not love God this way, it was said by the prophets, they're running after false lovers. It's a picture what it looks like. God wants our love exclusively. I will be married 42 years this summer. My wife expects me to love her exclusively. She's funny that way. That's what she demands. God wants that same exclusivity. It's to him. Love God. Focus on him. We love God with all. That means our entire, our complete, absolute. It was told of the people coming to, to drop an offering and people were dropping great sums of money into the offering. And a little widow walked up with her two pennies or her two mites and she dropped them into the, the offering. Clink, clink. And the people snickered and sneered. And Jesus, seeing their hearts, said, you, out of your abundance, has put in just a portion. She, though, has given everything. She had nothing left. She gave it all. Clink, clink, that's it. I have no other. And that same word, when she gave everything, is what Jesus is talking about here. The same word, to love God with all, everything, complete, don't hold back whatsoever. Give it all. Love God with your. It, it's a personal commitment. We can look at others and say, they just don't love God the way they should. Well, don't worry about them. Worry about you. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second thing about that is 
you can't depend on someone else's love for God. It doesn't count for you. Oh, my wife, she gets up early and she prays and she reads her Bible. Good thing for her. Or mom and dad, they, they love God. It's not inheritable. It's your love. It's yours. Love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love him entirely. So we love him with our heart. And when the Bible talks about heart, that word heart, it's, it's our whole being. It's everything. We sometimes use it like, hey, he spoke from his heart. It means more emotional, what we would think in, in our mind. But in the Bible, it's talking about your whole being. It's like, I believe this with all my heart. It means everything about me believes in this one thing. I'm going for it. And that's what he's talking about. This is a, a, kind of a covering it all. It's everything about you is to love God entirely. Don't hold back. A pastor that I served along with at Emmanuel Church, he used to say, you need to move all your chips onto that square. Don't hold back. Move all your chips onto that square. I always wondered why he made a gambling reference. But anyway, he said, like, put it all on there. Don't hold back. Give it all. God is saying, everything about you, love him. Don't hold back. Do not hold back from what God has given to you. Love him with your heart, love him with your soul. This is the seed of our emotions, our ambition, our passion. We love God when we say, I am giving this to you. I'm pouring it into you. I'm letting it go. I am giving to you my passions, my ambitions. What do I want to do? My dreams, they belong to you. I love you this way. We tend to love all kinds of things. Guys will like hunting and fishing and sporting activities, and gardening, shopping and working out and all you know, all kinds of things that are taking place. We can love all these things. We can love the good things like like family and our work and uh, providing for our homes and such. Like we can love all that. But he's saying, love me first, pour it over, have your ambitions, your passions, your dreams focused on me. Loving with your mind, this is essentially the will. What, making decisions, the volition, the rationality behind that. We love God with our minds when we say, there's a decision I need to make, I'm giving it to you, Lord, help me to make this decision. I was reading Joshua chapter 9 and... It's an interesting story that I, I, I hadn't had really focused in on, not to the degree that I did this last time. And it was a story that this land that was promised to the Israelites, that Joshua was now beginning to take the land. He began to possess what is promised to them. And God said, go take that land. Other people are living there, but go take it. It belongs to you. So they got scared and a few of them came and they said, let's, let's deceive Joshua Let's act like we came from a far land. Let's put dust on us. Let's put mud. Let's wear out clothes. Let's even take our bread and make it all flaky like we baked it fresh from miles and miles away. And we brought it here and it was all falling apart. And they come before Joshua and they say, Joshua, will you make a covenant with us that you'll not destroy us? And he looks at them and sees them all dusty and all 
crusty bread and everything else was crusty, I suppose. And you just like, all right, I'm going to make this decision. I make a covenant with you. And these were people that were in the land that God had promised to them. And it created a problem for Israel. Now, here's what it said. It said, Joshua 9, 14. He did not seek the Lord's decision. Love the Lord your God with all your mind means you pour over, you allow God to make those decisions in your life. They're going to impact yourself and others. We love the Lord our God with all our strength. This is our energy, our life as, it, as we know it. There's a Bible verse that I misquoted when I was a youth pastor. Youth pastors do that from time to time. Yeah. And we give them great grace and uh, we say, way to go. And, but this time I misquoted this verse and I said, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. If your heart's in the church, you should give to the church. And the pastor walked up to me and said, that's good preaching, it's bad Bible. You to look it up. And I read it and it said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Hmm. Where you invest your time, your money, your energy, your focus, your attention, your strength is where your heart will follow. And we, we follow all kinds of things in our life. And the Lord is saying, love me with all your strength. Pour me, focus on me, spend time with me, give to me, sacrifice for me, because I want your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Now, these are not four different aspects of the human body and personality, but it's our whole person. It'd be like saying, man, love me with your arm, okay? And love me with your, your other arm, okay? And your, your hands, okay? It's like it's all part of me. It's not, it's not different parts of me. It's me. And that's what he's saying. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Nobody can love God to this degree on this side of earth, right? This side of heaven. We, we're going to fail from time to time. I did this week. I just like, why am I thinking about that? Because the Lord said, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why am I thinking about this? And I repented and turned and said, Okay, Lord, I love you. Just a passing thought, but not a thought that was focused on him. And he calls me back. It says, looking unto Jesus, Hebrews tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We are constantly, that word looking means to constantly be looking to him. And he's saying, you can do it. So love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He said some strange things, and this one is right up there. He said, more than that, I also consider to be loss, everything to be loss, everything to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. He wanted to know Christ, and goes on. 
Because of him, I suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung so that I may gain Christ. He wanted to know him. He wanted to gain Christ. He wanted to to love him entirely, to have him as his possession. He said everything else in this world is secondary. Everything else is in this way, he said. Greek word is skubalon, dung. It's dung. What good is that? He said everything is loss. That's everything really skubalon, is it? In comparison, it is. Elizabeth Elliot said, love is not something we feel. And she implied, if we feel it, we'll go ahead and act on it. She said, love is not something we feel. It is something we do. And I might add, it's a decision we make to do. That's love. I go, I don't feel like it. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So we love God completely. And we love others compassionately. Jesus said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, so what does it mean that it's second? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I looked it up in the original Greek. Surprised to see what I saw. What do you think it means? It means second. Not first. It's just second. It's secondary. God is first. Love him first. Everything else is second. Meaning your spouse is second, not first. Your kids and grandkids even are second. Your work is second. Your dog is second. At my home, God's first, the dog's second, and I'm way down the list. Your, your church and your ministry is second. Staff, as you're serving in the church, it's secondary to what? To your love for God. It's out of your love for God that you're going to be able to minister to other people. And then you have nothing less to give to other people because you're just going through the motions. You're just doing the thing. And some of you are volunteers in that way. It's like, I'm just, I'm just doing it. Love God first. And out of the overflow, it will flow. And others will receive it and say, what's happened in your life? Your neighbors are second. Love God first. But who's our neighbor? That was a question that was asked of Jesus when he was saying, love your neighbors yourself. And one of the Pharisees came and said, well, who's my neighbor? Trying to kind of like, well, clarify. Is he talking about the next door neighbor? Are you talking about what, what only? Like two doors down, does that count? As a He's going, who's my neighbor? And so he tells the story about the Good Samaritan. How this Good Samaritan was a Samaritan... And Jews, the Jews had a racist view of the Samaritans. They didn't want anything to do with them. And yet here was this Jewish man on the side of the road bleeding and about to die. And the Samaritan comes by after a Jewish Christian leader, another Jewish leader comes by 
and just ignores him, walks on the other side. But the Samaritan sees him, comes over and deals with his wounds, takes care of him, takes him to the inn and tells the innkeeper, here's some extra money in case he needs it. And Jesus then said, which of these do you think is a neighbor? And they said, well, the Samaritan. That's right. Now go do the same thing. So who's our neighbor? Anybody we come in contact with. It certainly includes neighbors. I have neighbors here in this service. I had neighbors in the first service too, holding me accountable, I think. It's, it includes your neighbors, but it, it's also anybody you have relationship with. You're, you're in any kind of contact with. That's your neighbor. When Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected. So how do we love our neighbors? By knowing them. Jesus knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows our struggles. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we need. And when we, we can love our neighbors by knowing them like Jesus knows us. By extending grace to them. We extend grace to others because they're, they're not perfect. Our neighbors aren't perfect. And we need to extend grace to them. And so we choose to do so. They're not perfect. And that's the same thing they're saying about you. You're not perfect. We extend grace and for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God. We show love to our neighbors by forgiving them. Not just remembering and holding grudges, but forgiving them. God forgives us when we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then by showing compassion to them. As Christ shows compassion to us, those who are dejected and deserted like a sheep without a shepherd. So what do we do? Well, John 15, 13 says, no one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Christ is the more excellent neighbor who left his place in heaven. He moved into our neighborhood here on earth and he shows his love to us by giving his life to us, dying for us, forgiving us, giving us a way out, a way of forgiveness. And he extends that grace to you and I. So first, receive the love of God. Receive it. It is said, hurt people hurt people. In other words, those that are hurt have a tendency to hurt other people. But watch this. Loved people love people. When you're loved, you're going to have more capacity to love others. Receive this love. Let it wash over you. The prodigal son left his father's house. He spent all his money. He lived a sin, sinful life. And he, he wanted to come back as a servant. And his father wouldn't allow him to come back as a servant. He said, no, come as my son. 
you're my son. Put this ring on, this family signet ring on. Put this robe on. Put these shoes on. Come and we're going to kill the fatted calf. Enjoy. This, my son, was dead and now is alive. And Christ is offering that to us. Receive his love. You say, oh, you don't know what I've done. The Apostle Paul was guilty of murdering Christians. He wrote most of the New Testament. I do know that. Can he forgive you? Is your sin too big for God to forgive? Are you too bad of a sinner or person for God to love? No, you can't out God's grace or love. So receive it. And then finally, in, in a world of hate and violence and anger, we get an opportunity in the darkest place of this world to be that light that points to Jesus Christ. Where it's darker, the light is even more evident. We get to be that light, and we do it by loving God first with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, all our mind, and by loving others as ourselves. It's a great joy. We get to do it. And let his compassion roll out of you and let it pour to others. Let it be received from him to you and you to others. And then lather, rinse, repeat. Never quit. Father, thank you for your love and kindness to us Thank you for being that perfect neighbor, that one who gave your life to us so that we might have eternal life. So I pray, dear Jesus, forgive us where we failed you and let us love you with everything. And then let us love others. To your glory and your honor, we pray. Amen.